please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word. Born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, looms large over all of history. Many books and movies have incorporated Christological themes. Uh, The movie Superman Returns is, is one of those. The premise of the movie is that Superman has left Earth to search out the remains of his home planet, Krypton. He returns five years later. In the meantime, his disenfranchised girlfriend, Lois Lane, has written a Pulitzer Prize-winning piece entitled, Why the World Does Not Need a Superman. When Superman returns, he addresses that article. And her response is, the world doesn't need a savior and neither do I. His response is to take her up over all of Metropolis in the evening to see the expanse of the city, and he asks her, what do you hear? She says, nothing. He says, I hear everything. You wrote that the world does not need a savior. Every day, I hear people crying for one. God hears everything. Every day, he hears people either verbally or silently 
crying for a savior. And God gives his answer. Let's pray. Our Father, bring the gospel anew to our hearts this morning. Enliven us with it. And for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, would your spirit open their hearts to see him for who he is, to see themselves for who they are, to look inward and hear the very cries of their hearts and that Jesus is the answer to those cries. Speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. During the Advent season, we've been studying the book of Isaiah, and we've seen Israel crying out for a Savior. God had answered that cry throughout history when they were slaves to Egypt. He delivered them. During the period of the judges, they cried out when other peoples were conquering them, God answered them. Under the kings, when they were under attack by the Philistines, God delivered them. And now in this book of Isaiah, they're assaulted by Assyria, and God delivers Judah. And they await the assault and captivity from Babylon. And Isaiah says, I will answer. I will answer with a Messiah. A Messiah who is going to be Lord himself. He will not only deliver you, but he will deliver the world and make all that is broken new. Not everybody understood the magnitude of Jesus' promise. The Gentiles didn't even know it existed. They were oblivious to it. The Jews, they understood the deliverance of their people physically. They did not comprehend the deliverance they needed spiritually. But there was one. His name is Simeon. And we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The setting is the temple in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph bring their baby Jesus to the temple after 40 days after his birth. It's for the ritual purification of Mary, for she was under the Mosaic law unclean for 40 days. And so they offered two turtle doves for her purification, but also it was to present Jesus, to dedicate him to the Lord. For the law also said the firstborn male of every family would be dedicated to the Lord. At the same time, Simeon, this devout man, had been promised by God that he would live until he saw the Messiah. And so that day God converged as he brought Mary and Joseph and he brought Simeon by the Spirit of God to the temple. And Simeon saw that child. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for those promises that would bring comfort. And I believe it's a direct line right to Isaiah chapter 40 where God said, Comfort, comfort my people. 
Simeon was waiting for that comfort. And the first part of that comfort was that God would provide for the forgiveness of his people. And that he would send a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for God himself, for this Messiah would be God. And that this God would bring us the word of God. And that he would come for the whole world and he would rule with a strong arm and care for us as a tender shepherd. That's who Simeon waited for. And that day, when he beheld the child, he knew that was God's Messiah. And he makes a proclamation about this child that captures the mission of Jesus in a few short sentences. And what we're going to see this morning is that message shares the good the bad, and the ugly about Jesus' mission. First, the good. He cries out, Now, Lord, you're letting your bondservant depart in peace. According to your words, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people. This child is God's response to the cries of Israel and the cries of the world. He is God's salvation. When we hear the word salvation, we often think only of he's our ticket to heaven. The salvation he offers is much, much more. Yes, he answers the question, What happens when we die? He answers it by saying, every believer has a place prepared for him in God's presence. But more than that, when he offers eternal life, it is life. It is a relationship with God. He has broken down, taken away the barrier between us and God so that we can have a relationship with him and we can have fullness of life itself. Before I became a Christian, there were, I was restless. There was an emptiness, a hole in my heart, and there were things I wanted. One is, I wanted a purpose in life, that life had to have a meaning beyond what I was doing, a meaning that, that had eternal benefits that lasted beyond this life. I wanted that hole filled in my life. And I wanted it to be according to truth. I was taught uh, truth is relative, but I really believe there was a truth that I hadn't grasped, a foundation upon which I could build my life. And I sought a love relationship. Someone who would accept me and love me just as I am. And... I wanted my life transformed because I knew I was engaged in and thought things and pursued things that were not right, were not good, that I was not the person that I really wanted to be. When I met Jesus Christ, he moved into my life in every one of those areas. He's given me a meaning and purpose in my relationship with him and what he's given me to share with the world around me. 
with a congregation that has eternal benefits. He's filled that hole in my life. He has given me truth. And he loves me the way no person could love me. He sees and knows everything about me and yet embraces me with the fullness of his love to an extent that I could never imagine when I consider the sacrifice. It's all according to the truth of God himself. I'm still working on that transformation part. I'm still not all that I want to be, but God has given me a power to break my enslavement to sin, to lead me on the path to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is as well. And salvation is that ultimate time when Christ will make all things new. Amy Grant's song, the, my grown-up Christmas list, I think captures this. She says, her list is, no more lives torn apart. Wars would never start. Time would heal all hearts. Everyone would have a friend. The right would always win and love would never end. If that resonates with your heart, you are crying out for a Savior. That Savior is God's salvation, Jesus Christ. That salvation is for the whole world as he continues. That this child is a light for revelation for the Gentiles in the glory of your people. He is for the Gentiles. They never thought they would be a part of this, that Yahweh God was only for Israel, but no, he isn't. He's for the whole world. He is the one true God. And they were living, the Gentiles were living in darkness during that time. They worshipped false gods often, sacrificing their own children to those gods. They filled gladiatorial arenas to watch individuals slaughter one another and they cheered. If there was an unwanted child, they would take him out into the woods and leave him there. There was enmity, hatred between every culture and every race. And they would even abandon their own family if a member got the plague in order to save their own lives. The darkness was great. But this child was a light into that darkness for the Gentiles, a way to God. And he has transformed the world. There are over two and a half billion people today who name the name of a Jewish Messiah as theirs. And where there is darkness in this world, it is because we have expunged Jesus and that light from our world today. He's a light to the Gentiles, and he is the glory of Israel. The Jewish people are a chosen race. They are a special people to God. God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and in your, 
and you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. If you are of Jewish heritage, you are among the chosen race. You are to be a channel of God's blessing to the world. God made you to be a light to show that he is the one true God. And he would bless you when you followed him. And he would discipline you as a loving father when you didn't. You were the mouthpiece of God to the world. He entrusted to you his very word. Every Old Testament book is written by a Jewish author. Every New Testament book except those written by Luke were written by Jewish authors. But much, much more so, you are the conduit of God's blessing to the world. Jesus Christ is that blessing. It isn't you as individuals. It isn't the way you've lived, the way what have you have been, but is the one who is in your line. He is the glory for all the people of Israel. And it should break all of our hearts when a Jewish person rejects their own glory in Christ. We do no favors if we say Judaism is just another religion like Christianity if those Jewish people have not received their Messiah, their promised one. We do no favors to any religion if we say your religion is just like Jesus, just like Christianity if you do not accept the light, the glory of Israel. For there is only one who brings us salvation. And when we say all religions are the same, we are putting roadblocks to the way of salvation. He is the good news, the light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. He is God's salvation for us. We should all welcome that blessing, but the bad news is we don't. Simeon continues in verse 34. Simeon blessed them, and he said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and as a sign to be opposed. This child was the rise of many. He was the rise of a woman caught in adultery, of a prostitute who worshipped at his feet and wept over, his, uh, wept over him. He was the rise for overlooked fishermen and despised tax collectors, marginalized lepers, blind beggars, madmen and demoniacs, and even some of the wealthy class, even some of the members of the ruling class in the Sanhedrin. But it is also the fall of many. And we see it at the very birth of Jesus. See, Jesus was not rejected by his people because he didn't fulfill his claims. 
It wasn't because he didn't prove them. It's because they were never open to him. We see that it's his birth. How can you say this child is not when Gentiles, Magi came from the east and they worshipped him? But the scripture tells us that King Herod, upon hearing of this birth, sought his death. That the religious leaders who could point the way to where the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem, they pointed the Magi to Bethlehem. They didn't care enough to travel a couple miles to see this child and to ascertain if this child might be the Messiah. Matthew tells us that all of Jerusalem was troubled with King Herod. He was never given a chance. There were never open hearts to him. And when he began teaching, the rejection continued. He was a sign to be opposed. And he was opposed. He was opposed by the royalty, Heretic Antipas wanted him gone. He was opposed by the religious leaders. He was opposed by the conservative Pharisees and the liberal Sadducees. He was opposed by the radicals, by the people who cried out, crucify him. He was opposed. Why? I think it's for the same reason that Herod opposed him. Herod did not want to be replaced. He didn't want, want anyone sitting on his throne except himself. We pushed Jesus away <clears throat> in part because he is Savior and we have to acknowledge we're sinful and need a Savior but more so because he is Lord and he puts claims on our lives. An atheist philosopher named Thomas Nagel candidly shared about his atheism. He wrote this, I want atheism to be true. It isn't that I don't believe in God and I naturally hope that my belief is right. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare. He's saying, I don't want a Lord over my life. After my brother's funeral, I was driving back to my apartment, college apartment with a roommate. And he said, well, it's times like these that it's really hard to believe there's a God. I thought about that for a second. I said, yeah, you're right. I often wonder and doubt there's a God, but when I'm really honest with myself, I know there's a God. But I don't want there to be a God because if there is, I'm accountable to him. I think is not rare. It's in us. 
It's the reason we oppose Jesus. And we oppose him by becoming atheists or agnostics. We oppose him by reinventing him merely as a, a peace child or a cosmic Santa Claus, a spiritual philosopher, or a social justice warrior. Anything but Lord. We can oppose him, we who come to worship, by coming to do homage to him on a Sunday, but not letting him lead and rule our lives on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your bodies. When we consider what Jesus Christ has done for us, there's no other response. If he's given his all for us, we should give our all for him. And when we truly get the gospel and live by the gospel, those won't be words that are scary. It's what we'll want to do because we know his love is so great and we know we can trust that love to lead our lives better than we would ever lead our own lives. Good, the bad, and the ugly. We might think that the ugly flows from the bad, but actually the ugly flows from the good. Because for Jesus to accomplish that salvation, he would have to endure ugliness. Luke 25, Luke 2, 35, the end, it says to Mary, this child will be a sword who will pierce your soul. Mary's soul was pierced at the foot of the cross where she witnessed her son, brutalized beyond recognition, mocked with a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross, naked, ashamed, humiliated, dying a lingering, painful breath, death where he could barely take a breath, mocked by the religious leaders, made fun of by the Roman soldiers. She witnessed it all and it pierced her soul. It was the ugliest day in human history when the creature crucified the creator. But that ugliest day is actually the most beautiful day. Because in that day we saw the vastness of God's love, the magnitude of his justice, the beauty of his holiness, and the extent of the love that he would pour out for us. There we realized what God would do because of his love for us. Trevin Wax, I think, captures this well. It says, On the cross, God demonstrated his perfect justice and his great mercy. <clears throat> he executed justice by pouring out his wrath against sin upon his own son. He showed mercy by absorbing that wrath himself thus allowing us to escape his judgment. 
Because Jesus was filled with horror and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are filled with wonder and cry, My God, my God, why have you accepted me? Because Jesus cried, Father, forgive. The taunts we hurl at him at the cross are transformed into praise for his generous mercy. Because Jesus said, I thirst, we can drink from the fountain of living water and never thirst again. Because Jesus said, behold, woman, behold your son, and felt the pain of separation from his earthly family, we can experience the blessing of being united with a heavenly father. Because Jesus cried, it is finished, our new life can begin. Because Jesus committed his spirit into the Father's hands, God commits his spirit into their hearts. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the substitute that protects us from the wrath of God. He experienced the curse of God, the punishment for sin, the hellish torment of eternal damnation, all for the glory of God and for the salvation of you and me. When Mary's soul was pierced, we were offered the opportunity <clears throat> for our souls to be restored to God and to be made new. There's just a little more to Simeon's declaration. Verse 35, he says, a sword will pierce your soul, Mary, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus Christ reveals all of our hearts. He revealed the heart of Herod and the religious leaders and the people of Jerusalem and the Roman soldiers and Pilate and on and on. What does he reveal of your heart? Does he reveal that you need to maintain control of your life? Does he reveal that you're in denial about those things that you know are wrong and sinful? Does he reveal that you are your own personal savior? Does he reveal a self-righteousness that makes you think you're good enough without Jesus? Does he reveal an arrogance? We think we're better than others and that we can determine for ourselves what God says is right and for us. Or does he reveal a heart that says, I am wicked. I am sinful. A heart that says, I know I deserve God's judgment. A heart that says, I know I can't make up for my sin. A heart that cries out for a savior. A heart like that of the tax collector who prayed in the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No matter what your heart is today, Jesus Christ welcomes you if you could admit that you have sin that deserves the judgment of God, 
that you can't pay for it yourself, but that Jesus Christ has paid for it for you. No matter what you've ever thought, what you've ever done, how much you've opposed him, how much you may have mocked him, he says, come to me. Because he's the glory of the people of Israel. He's the light of revelation to the Gentile. And he is God's salvation to the world. Father, we thank you for Simeon's words. As we prayed earlier, refresh us with these gospel truths. And if we've never accepted them before, Lord, may those listening, those here, may they listen to the Spirit of God knocking on their hearts to open their hearts, to see themselves as God sees them, and to know God's love is so great that he demonstrated it that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen.